Well, hey, everybody. Welcome back to Ghouls in the House. I'm Arnold T. Blumberg. And I'm Natalie Latovsky. And happy Halloween, everybody. Happy Halloween. Every year for our Halloween episode, we have tried to come up with some kind of theme that links the movies we're doing. And we kind of uh, settled into a triple feature approach. That started when you came up with the first one, where we based the movie choices on the three masks from Halloween 3. And then we did, what did we do next? Then we did Triple Haunting. Mm-hmm. Lots and, of haunted houses. And then we've done three so far. And then we did, uh, I've already forgotten. We did the three movies that were based on monsters from the song Monster Mash. Right. So this time, you said to do The Shape of Halloween. Indeed. And we're like, like we talked about Halloween three, and then this time it was like, oh, based around the Halloween shape. and the shape, the shape of Halloween. And I can't remember now if that was before or after we watched the first one. I think after it kind of just fell into place. So we picked three movies with a single word title that's a shape, and we started from having just watched the Japanese remake of Cube from twenty twenty one. And then quickly found Circle from 2015. And then worked a while to come up with a triangle because, damn it, if we hadn't already done a perfect triangle quite a few episodes back. And if you go back a ways, you will find an episode we did with Triangle and Ghost Ship, mm-hmm. which, by the way, is very relevant to this episode. So go back and listen <laughs> to that because I sure don't remember what we said, but you will certainly appreciate it. And so we tried to find another triangle. Depending on where you look this one up, it's called The Triangle. But on one of the boxes, it just says triangle. On our DVD cover, it says triangle. So I'm sticking with that. (laughs) So we wound up with a triangle, not the 2000, was it nine one, but a 2001 TBS Superstation TV movie starring Luke Perry, Olivia Dabo, and MTV's Dan Cortez. Woo! And I thought, all right, we found our movie. So it's the shape of Halloween, folks. Cube, circle, and triangle. And not the triangle that everyone else does. And not the cube (laughs) that you might be thinking. And by the way, uh, special shout out to one of my longtime supporters who has come from uh, the old G to V days through Doctor of the Dead to Ghouls in the House, James Carter, who recently uh, emailed about whether or not we've ever done the cube movies. And I want him to know that he's partly responsible for us kind of veering in this direction. Mm-hmm. And although we did the Jap- we're going to do the Japanese remake of the Cube here, we are specifically doing it also with the idea that we're holding the original in reserve and may go back and do more of the original Cube trilogy and you know take a look at that. But we're specifically doing the remake this time, and uh, and holding off on discussing the original, except as it's relevant. Indeed. So we jumped into the 2021 Cube. I think you had found it at one point and you were like, hey, let's check this out. This looks like it might be interesting. At one point, maybe I knew they were doing a remake, but I think I must have forgotten because I was flipping around through services as we do all the time. I feel like most people now will spend like... 45 minutes an hour like browsing in search of finding a thing to watch so we were doing that thing where we go through all the services and i was like that looks more modern than cube and then i realized oh it is more modern and it's japanese and then we remembered that we had heard they were making it we just hadn't 
really realized it was available to watch. So where, we thought, why not dive in? Where did we find that? Do you remember? Oh, gosh. I believe we watched it on Screenbox. Oh, okay. Um, but if you check your letterboxed, um, you usually mark where we watched something. So if you know Arnold's letterboxed, it'll tell you which service we watched it on because he likes cataloging. <laughs> By the way, while we're talking about that, yes, I am doing, I've been on letterbox.com for about a year now and I've been trying to really use it to catalog everything I'm watching movie wise, although I've kind of fallen off. My original thing was I was off also cataloging every time we watched a movie that was like a mystery science theater riff tracks, including the shorts. Mm -hmm. And I no longer do that anymore because we rewatch stuff so often that I can't keep up. But certainly first times or like rewatches where it's clear I'm doing that. And I'm in the middle of a universal horror movie rewatch right now that will stretch way past Halloween. So join me on Letterboxd because I'm trying to write reviews the way I used to for all the magazines I used to write for. And I'm having fun just writing whatever I want. Like it doesn't have to be long. Sometimes it is. Sometimes it's short. Mm -hmm. But it's been nice. And also, by the way, one other plug while I have the chance Please find me on Instagram if you're uh, of a mind to and you're on Instagram. I'm at Doctor of the Dead there. And as we record this, I've been doing my first ever art challenge where I've been doing a month long art challenge thanks to a company I bought some Photoshop stuff from. And I've been having a wonderful time doing Halloween pictures for the last, well, 29 days, I guess, at this point. Mm -hmm. And it'll go through Halloween. But I also have some ideas for stuff I want to continue to do, including my pickles and bean comic strip and something else i'm percolating and i feel like instagram is becoming more and more the place where that's the likeliest place for me to do something about it because we're on threads though too but we'll see how that goes anyway anything else (laughs) anyway that's my plugs for finding me find me on letterboxd and instagram so anyway we found cube and I have to say, as it settled in my initial reaction while watching it was the reaction i often have with remakes, which is why bother? Mm-hmm. Mainly because it felt, at least at the beginning, even though it's clearly a full Japanese production team and a cast and all that, it felt at least initially like it wasn't really changing all that much. Mm. And it's important to note, even though if you're a longtime listener, I'm sure you know by now, but as is usually the case with Ghouls in the House, we're talking about everything all the way through the end of the movie, full spoilers. It's really, at this point, it's a full spoiler podcast. I've it actually is. seen other people say that specifically. Like, it's a full spoiler podcast. We like talking about the endings of things. Yeah. You back? Great. So anyway, <laughs> uh, as we got into Cubo, Sangare, this is nice. And the, the set design is beautiful. It's gorgeous. It's a fantastic, not really all that different, but sort of updated, slightly uh, specific take on the repetitious quality of the cube design if you've never seen but of course you've watched it at this point because we told you full spoilers so what the hell am i talking about but anyway <laughs> obviously the whole idea is you get a that's another thing by the way not only are these three movies that we're talking about linked by shape as it turns out and it wasn't necessarily intentional but it seems to be the case when dealing with movies like this mm-hmm. all three of them involve groups of people enclosed in a space and sort of thrown together from different walks of life and different places and sort of displaced and having to find their way out or figure out what's going on. And it sort of fits neatly as a side 
as a corollary to our ghouls in the house thing of enclosed spaces. Yeah. Or, you know. They're like sci-fi haunted houses. <laughs> yeah. But it's all about like displaced groups that are put together. And in Cube, as in the original, we're thrown into a bizarre sci-fi kind of realm in which there are these multiple identical chambers that all link together with doors, not only side to side, but top and bottom. And these people find each other in this prison and have to try to figure out why are they there? Is there a way out? How do we do that? And at least initially, it's very similar to the original Cube. And it made me feel a little bit like, oh, why do this again? And I think maybe one of the reasons to why do this again, when you just talk about it visually, is that the original film was done on quite the shoestring. And to be beautifully, beautifully, I mean, beautifully done on a shoestring. I think it's why it stands the test of time. But this remake essentially sort of imagines what would the cube rooms have looked like? Would they have been able to film in HD? Right. That like the colors are brighter, the sort of techno aspect of it feels sort of more machine-like, and it even yeah. makes slightly more machine noises, machine functions. It feels a little bit more like the cube itself is this sort of mechanically alive object. The cube's a character. The cube is a character in a way that it maybe wasn't as much in the original. I have to say, I can't remember now specifically if it felt exactly the same. I don't think it did, but I I seem to remember now that one of the things I love most about the original is it has a fantastic sound effect for the door latches. Mm -hmm. It's a very good... It's like an ASMR kind of thing. It's a great sound for the door. I, don't, I think it's a different one in this, but in it's this also... one, it's more of a kerchunk yeah. than it is a. <laughs> this is why you come to us, folks, so we can nail these down for you. <laughs> these but... are all very technical terms. But as becomes clear as this version continues, it did innovate in a few ways. Like you were saying, the cube is more reactive mm-hmm. to certain things. There's sort of a psycho-reactive element where one of the characters... Also, there are parallels to a lot of the characters in the original, including one who's, as you move along, clearly becomes the genuine antagonist, a sort of psychotic Mm -hmm. in it. And it reacts to his like anger and mood in a way that the original Cube did not. The color's changing. and, And also, they did throw in a few different wrinkles as far as the traps the Cube creates. And uses the effects not altogether that great either, I have to say, for 2021. But of course, it's probably also not that high a budget either. But mm-hmm. but it did a few different things. And they also changed a little bit. I, I think the one thing I would say that's very different in this, that's distinctly from a Japanese perspective, perhaps, is that it seems like the main motivating theme in this, or at least one of them, is sort of a generational divide between an older businessman and a younger guy and the the notion of what one generation owes to the next and and the idea of work and and striving for having just the ability to to live in a modern environment there's a lot of conversations and debates about that i don't remember that coming into play in the original it wasn't that kind of setup and it feels like this one is kind of interrogating 
the older businessman type and younger people who want to live without feeling like they're stuck in a, well, stuck yeah, in a, in a, a structure, in a box. <laughs> right, exactly. It also kind of plays on the idea of family relationships, of like father-son, of brothers. There's definitely more of, I guess, an emotional hook in this I mean, I say this not necessarily saying it was pulling at our our heartstrings per se. I thought it was a little over the top. It felt a little over the top sentimental, but also I think that's a combination of two things. One is that I, I do think it is a distinctly Japanese perspective on an issue that exists universally, which is that of identity and like a struggle with wanting to be who you want to be versus wanting to sort of make people in your life happy by being who they want you to be, whether that's a parent, a teacher, a boss, whoever. But I do think because it's a Japanese cultural perspective on that issue, it doesn't resonate as deeply for us, because they're coming at it from an angle that culturally doesn't sort of, I guess, hit the same notes for us. And so it's what makes it feel, I think, a little overly sentimental, as opposed to sort of getting to the root of things. But I also don't know that that's necessarily a failure, because I at least appreciate that they tried to bring something different to it. Because you're sort of saying, well, why remake something if it's good? And the answer is, well, they are trying to bring something different to the table, come at it from a different perspective. And I think the other part of it is that how often are you going to find now, these days, any studio, small or large, willing to make a movie where the characters, in a sense, are not deeply developed, where the characters only you only get a surface level introduction to them as archetypes. And you don't get any kind of backstory or understanding of what's going on. I think it's a hard sell to a lot of people, which is a shame because I do think there are interesting stories you can tell that way. So I think the upgrade is, I don't even know if I'd say it's an improvement, but it's an interesting tangent to me. We also mentioned the um, adding of the emotional family angle in order to do that. This remake also leaves the confines of the cube through flashbacks. Mm -hmm. And in one case, something that's not quite a flashback to actually show us things that happened outside the cube. And frankly, if I had to, I would say that's a mistake. I mean, it, it adds something and it's fine. And I'm not saying don't do it. Try it. Why not? But it seems to be a shame that one of the real strengths of this premise is we're in the cube with them. Mm -hmm. As soon as you visually leave the cube, it makes it feel less confining. Yeah. And so even though we're obviously still in the cube, the glimpses of the outside world, they didn't do that in the original. And it feels a little like, all right, well now you're, you're, you're stepping away from the really cool hook of this, which is we're in there with them and trapped in the cube and how do we get out 
But in this, we're getting these glimpses of the world outside. It makes it a little less claustrophobic. It's less claustrophobic, and it's not. It, it kind of lessens the the impact. I think. I think there could be interesting ways to explore it without doing that, and maybe they just decided not to go that route of maybe somebody hearing snippets of voices or conversations in their head or telling a story the way often you get a lot of monologues in these kind of tightroom situations or something where, you know, we have at least one room where the cube is projecting a memory of someone of what happened onto the wall and that extends the wall and takes you out a little too much. And maybe the way to do it is just to have it project photographs or pictures of people and the other people asking, well, like, what does this mean? Who is this? And that kind of leads into the story. I think that would have kept us in the cube more. We also have already said full spoilers. So, you know, you saw it already, right? (laughs) Okay. It also does something else that's so Japanese in terms of, uh, science fiction and film mm-hmm. it's almost like they were making this and thought could we at least please have a robot in it could we do something with <laughs> they're a in a robot? big mechanical cube why can't we have a it's robot like, it feels like so much like there's such a need to add another layer that it turns out that one of the people in it is a robot or an android or something that's part of the system that is designed to find the other people and basically it seems like shepherd them through their moral and ethical and emotional journey to see if they're going to make it or not. Like this person, this creation is part of the test or whatever it is. Like an extension of the cube. Yeah, kind of. an uh, Yeah, right. Like an agent of the cube or a part of the cube. A physical embodiment of the cube. Yeah, and we did kind of pick up, it's well done and the person... As that character, which I at least I'll dance around that if you don't want to know which one it is. You watched it already. It doesn't matter. <laughs> anyway, she's very good at being a robot. and But it did feel to me when that came up, I was like, is this one step too far? Like, we've already got the cube. Do we need a robot in the cube? But also, again, I can't really blame any. I, I thought it was still good. But I feel like one of the things that's so strong about an idea of like Cube is how simple and how small the premise is. And as soon as you start embroidering, you lose some of the power of that initial idea. And in a way, it's the same thing that the Cube series dealt with, because I've seen all three of the original Cubes, and we'll get to that at some point. And when they started going, as sequels often have to do, you're going to embroider. Yeah, Mm -hmm. you're going to start to lose some of that. And I think this one loses some of the power by trying to add too much. But it's still good, though. It's It's not good. It's not bad at all. They do also, I think, in a very good way, update one character in the film where in the original film one of the characters was essentially meant to be some sort of savant or like someone who was like extremely autistic or challenged in some way well probably in a way that today is seen as a bit too uh cliched yeah it's a very like uncomfortable stereotype yeah And what they did instead is 
replaced that character with an extremely smart child. And I do think that sort of the archetype that they were trying to place in the first one, mm-hmm. like in the original, but maybe either didn't think of it or felt uncomfortable putting a child in these dangerous situations in a way that perhaps for better or for worse in modern society, we see children in dangerous situations all the time. And it doesn't feel so taboo or so outside the norm to have a child trapped in there with them, like dealing with horrors. And I do think that it was a great way to sort of update that archetype or that character and then also helps kind of create the three generations of people in the cube to do that sort of generational exploration. It gives you sort of, I don't know, small, medium, large. Like it gives you like young, middle-aged, older. Tall, grande, and janky. That's right. (laughs) I would not be surprised if one of the cube rooms had a Starbucks. We're out of the cube and into the circle, our next installment in the shape of Halloween. And I'll start off by saying, again, full spoilers, watch it. Did you? Good. I thought the circle was excellent. I was genuinely impressed by it because basically the idea being that we once again start off with a displaced group of like a motley assortment of people all thrown into a situation. I think we start with 50 all standing in a big circle around this dome in the center and marks on the on the floor, like the red arrows on the floor. And it looks kind of like a reality show kind of thing a little bit, a game show, which it kind of sort of is. And then what you figure out uh, along with them is that actually one of the things they come up with early on is that aliens have abducted them, which is true, but they have no reason to really believe that and it almost feels like that's a step too far because they really have no reason to believe that necessarily. But then it turns out, well, yeah, actually, they're right. It is aliens. So that part. I mean, I guess the reason to believe it is just how otherworldly and technologically advanced right. this room is. Like they're all arranged in a circle, but then they're also each standing on their own circle which they can't leave not even to reach out and touch the person next to them yeah and we're shown that right at the beginning Mm -hmm. and then of course the uh, as you go through eventually what happens is there appears to be a structure where at regular intervals everyone in this group is required to vote for who dies next which leads to the inevitable, slowly developing culture of alliances and animosities and planning and choices and who's going to be the last person standing in the circle. And it also trades in the same kind of dialogue and the same kind of writing that often drives shows like The Walking Dead Mm-hmm. And other things where you get endless circular arguments about what's the right thing to do when you're trying to survive. And the thing that really got me, though, about this was there's also, of course, there are people of different uh, 
races, different ethnic backgrounds, different walks of life, different ages, different ages. And I was just so impressed. Some of it made okay. Yes, I, I've actually read some other reviews too, and some people may say, "Oh, it's a little pat here and there." I really thought it was so well written that they managed to weave in almost every major argument you could think of in our current culture about worth. Yeah, about the worth of a human being. Mm-hmm. You know, whether the color of your skin makes a difference. She's pregnant. She's got a baby. Isn't she more important than the old lady? And and the rich guy, oh, well, you don't contribute to society. You're one of those poor people that doesn't work. Every argument that you've ever heard, and, and this was done in 2015, right before a particularly horrific period that we're still kind of sort of living in. Mm-hmm. And I feel that so many of the arguments presented in this are as relevant, if not more so, and as familiar, if not more so, than than they were when it was made. And I really think it does a great job of referencing all of that nicely, laying it all out, showing who are the awful people, and being brave in their choices Mm -hmm. as well. One thing for me, too, that I really, I think, appreciate in terms of the flow of the movie, it's something that we talk about a lot in other films, and especially documentary films, where you kind of get brought in gently in a way and you almost as a viewer are then being asked to follow the logic with them of like it becomes this educational film of like well would you agree or would you not and that they try to make the easiest decision first as a group that feels non-controversial of well obviously like anybody who is like you know over the age of 70 or whatever look i'm sorry but in the grand timeline of life, you have less time. And if we all just agree to vote for the oldest people in this order, right. that'll buy us some time to try to figure this out and like all get out of this situation. Yeah. And they're all with it until it becomes murky as to, well, then what does old mean at this point? And mm-hmm. it's a younger person suggesting it. And then everybody gets mad because they realize that he's, you know, in his 20s and so he's just going to keep picking people off until he can figure out what to do and so that then puts the target on him and then it becomes a do you speak up or do you not speak up do you tell about yourself do you keep it to yourself and it's the same kind of moral dilemma i think that gets presented in a lot of disaster scenarios disaster shows and as i was saying in a lot of reality game shows mm-hmm. you see a lot of, if anybody listening is the kind of viewer that watches a lot of shows like like survivor big brother, big brother those kind of things we've seen these kind of quote-unquote social experiment game shows play out these same kind of scenarios but much less contentious and deadly obviously and hateful Although not so much. There's plenty of hate in some of those shows, too. Mm-hmm. But like, for instance, one of the things you just said about talking or not talking, one of the things that I thought was a really great revelation toward the end is that the one person that never says anything makes it farthest than almost anybody because the smart thing was to stay off the radar and just stand there and let it all happen. But it's like I also thought the pacing of it was great. I never felt like I was getting bored. Because as soon as it felt like it was getting... I mean, the whole movie basically is a is a stage play. 
and they're all in the room. And I was reading it's a very low budget movie. They kind of brought the whole cast in, shot for a couple weeks. It all was being done very rigidly because they wanted to create the flow of the thing. And it's paced so nicely where they're ramping up points at various points along the way where things get more and more serious. And obviously we're also getting our dwindling numbers of people Mm -hmm. and people start emerging as the people they are. This one guy who seems like he's sensible through most of the movie becomes more and more rabid and almost literally foaming at the mouth crazy by the end. And you realize, oh, well, we should have guessed because he's a banker. There's there's all this kind of cultural conversation stuff in it that flows in so nicely. And I just really, really like the way they handled all of it. I don't think any of it was... I saw some people taking it to task for being, like I said, too pat about some of these arguments. It's a, it's a movie and they they wanted to cover everything. And I thought they did such a nice job of... You'd expect a bigot to say what they say at that particular point. You'd expect a rich person to not care about other people. And, and it all comes up. I think to me too, really, the way you could kind of summarize it, if you were trying to describe what the movie is to someone, it'd be like, what if... 12 Angry Men were a Twilight Zone episode. Yes. Like it's sort of monsters are due on Maple Street. That's what I couldn't remember. But it's Twilight Zone. Or rather, it's 12 Angry Men. Yeah. Obviously, monsters due on Maple Street is Twilight Zone. But it's that. But it feels like everyone is laying out these arguments, trying to change opinions, trying to like figure out what makes the most sense and what can we agree upon as a society and it's sort of that argument of you know when everyone's lives are on the line why are we still reverting to these archaic ideas about like what it means to contribute that they're bringing up whether or not they have kids whether or not they are kids you know whether or not they intend to do something important with their lives and this idea that you have to prove your worth to society in order to justify existing. And that's the reason I think it feels pat to some people, because that's the point. They keep hammering it home. I have to say also, I think we've gotten more and more in certain like sociological and cultural directions as we've lived through the last few years, particularly. Mm-hmm. But I saw somebody having a totally unrelated political argument online earlier where somebody was saying, I can't remember the exact wording now, it was very good saying something about how much of the structure of our society makes no sense because it sort of demands people justify their right to live as if it's as if they don't have a right to simply exist like oh that was right it was a whole argument about having to earn earn money for a living in order to survive and it's like it's based on the absolutely false made up premise that you need money in order to live, which you shouldn't, because your very existence on the planet is enough. You shouldn't have to earn money to live. We're and be in we're happy. in obsolete man territory here, where it's a real Twilight Zone theme. Yeah, and so and there's the, all, a lot of the underlying all these arguments in this too. Is like you know, well, do you contribute something? It's like it doesn't matter. Yeah. That's capitalism telling you that your life matters only if you contribute to the system. So that you get the fake pieces of paper that mean nothing and 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 can buy 
like the health care that you're, you should just be entitled to for free by virtue of being a human being. And, and it's the right and thing housing, to do. Yes. All of it. Right. So I thought it was beautifully done. And you're right. It's basically a feature length Twilight Zone episode. And like you said, 12 Angry Men, they've said that they were inspired by 12 Angry Men in their initial idea. That's the stage play feel yeah. as well. And one another thing, too, is in, in linking all this stuff together is they were um, speaking to the comparisons with Cube when they were doing the movie and talking about it and saying that Circle provided more answers and gave more of a definitive ending. Cube, the, both the original and the Japanese remake, mm -hmm. end with a sort of walk toward a light that really doesn't tell you anything, which I appreciate in that set of circumstances you don't know who did this or why you don't know who did or why and again there are times where i might watch a movie and feel like that's cheating or that i've been deprived of something in that kind of premise i prefer it that way mm -hmm. that's fine but i did like the fact that circle actually delivered mm -hmm. because when you get to the end you do in fact find out that it's aliens in very uh, conveniently and perhaps a little too conveniently circle-shaped ships, not just flying saucers, but actual open circles, you know, cute. But also, They got a thing for circles. But also, as you pointed out, the final scene really gives you the idea that it's a variation on the theme of Monsters Are Due on Maple Street, that in a sense, what we came up with, and I'm sure there could be other interpretations. Sure. But what we came up with when we see the one person left standing joining a group of other survivors from other circle ships who have evidently been subjected to the same test. Mm -hmm. It's a lot of children and pregnant women. Yeah. And the arguments presented throughout the entire movie right to the last scene really lean heavily on the idea of, well, you know, you know, our, our top choices of who to preserve are going to be children and, you know, pregnant women. And you see that, except that the last one we have is a guy who gamed the system. And boy, the last thing he does is one of the bravest things I've seen a movie choose to depict yes. in a long time. But he winds up joining a group of other people looking at the ships. And it's a lot of pregnant women, a lot of children. So you can see that a lot of people made the quote-unquote correct moral choices in their circle. But it does suggest that perhaps this is... A variation of monsters who do on Maple Street, which ends with the alien saying, we don't even have to touch them. We just start the ball rolling and they will kill each other. Mm -hmm. And that's really what winds up happening in this. Put a bunch of human beings in a room together and we are great at wanting to murder each other. And essentially it allows for the part that you don't see, right? Which essentially is, well, I guess what happens after the credits roll. Aliens come to the Earth and manage to essentially kill off 49 of every 50 people without ever having to do anything. Yeah. Except actually kill them, right? right? Like it's the it's the ship who's doing the killing. Right. But let 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 humanity make the choices and then after that point either it's you know becomes this invasion movie or it's legitimately just they're here because that's the kind of research they do and want to know what's important to humans. And in order to do so, 
They do it in this absolutely twisted, insane, macabre way. Yeah, because they're aliens, so who knows what the hell they mean. But who knows? And we never see them or meet them. No. Or even, like, hear a sound that could be their voice or something. But one of the things I did think was, if it was kind of a Maple Street or that kind of thing, or an invasion kind of thing, if you want the planet for whatever reason... It's nice to be able to accomplish that by thinning out the enemy population without having to fire a shot and damage anything. Mm -hmm. And then you can just move in to the small people you've got left and there's your, I don't know, your group of slaves for your invasion or whatever. So, but we don't know. But it's just... And we don't really need to at that point. No. Like, that's not really the movie it is. I like the fact that the movie gave us an ending that showed us this is what, this is what's doing it in a certain, in a vague way, and actually gave a conclusion with sort of a revelation. In Cube, I don't need one. In this, and I can't explain why, it's just a case by case. Yeah. But in this one, I would have felt robbed if we'd gotten to the end and like the last guy did a cube of walking out into the light and we never see what happens. Mm -hmm. I wanted to at least know what was the point of this. Right. And it doesn't really tell you what the point is, but it gives you the tools you need to come up with a reasonable answer on your own. And you also know that anybody who's left, all those survivors, there's no way they will ever trust any of the other people who are there ever again. Because they know what they all went through to get to that They all went through the same thing. Yeah. So it's kind of a fascinating thought of like what would come next? Like how do you even move forward from that and what do you do? I will say that one of the greatest strengths of this movie too was that it was a huge cast of largely more or less I mean it seems like a a nasty thing to say if somebody's done other work and I just don't know it so I apologize but Seem like more or less unknowns who I could look at as the people they're supposed to be rather than uh, a cast of people I recognize. Oh, yes. And Julie and Benz Julie Benz from Buffy. But apart from that. And Dexter. And Dexter. And right. Jawbreaker, if and, you want to go back. Right. So it's like it's a cast of 49 unknowns and Julie Benz, who does a nice job, too. But mm-hmm. that was weird. Like the one person. You know, but but uh, yeah, I think that's what also helped was that idea of like, I really feel like I'm just looking at people. And we talk about that a lot, especially when it comes to indie films, that sometimes a reason we enjoy an indie production is simply because in not seeing an actor that we recognize, stories that are really about the human condition feel like we're looking at a room full of everyman. Mm-hmm. That like it, it, they're all like representative archetypes without sort of being an actor in our heads. Kudos in particular to the little girl in the movie. Does some really heavy stuff and uh, does a great job. Fantastic like, right job. to the end. Yeah, I mean that's. I mean, she's old enough that they could explain, you know, what this is about. I would say, like, arguably, about the same age as the the kid in the Japanese version of Cube. It's pretty comparable. Okay. But yeah, it worked. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, I I, uh, I thought Circle was excellent. I, I didn't expect to like it as much as I did. I can't say I think it's as... I could watch 12 Angry Men, for example, literally every day. Yeah. I'm fine with that, if that were the case. I don't know that we're turning this on as this, like a rewatch. Yeah, this I can't imagine revisiting quite as much, because, of course, it's much more harrowing than 12 Angry Men is. Yeah, the you jury know. all gets to walk out yeah. at the end of 12 Angry Men. Right. 
but this is this is really heavy but it was very good uh and uh i'm glad i saw it finally the shape of halloween uh heads to the bermuda triangle mm. as you do of course good 70s location and like I said, we really tried, and who knows, maybe we'll revisit some of the other uh, possibilities, including a 70s TV movie, Satan's Triangle, that we almost did. Hold that in reserve for some other time. When we do our big Doug McClure episode, we'll do <laughs> Satan's Triangle. Um, but instead, we found Triangle, or The Triangle, if you want to get, you know, annoying, since it's supposed to be a single word, with Luke Perry and MTV's Dan Cortez. This place has everything. Kufa hats, congas, MTV's Dan Cortez. <laughs> Who I now only refer to as MTV's Dan Cortez. And Polly Shannon and Olivia Dabo, which depending on your age and when you're thinking, you remember from Wonder Years or Star Trek Next Generation or Law and Order Criminal Intent. And in one of the neatest little moments of pure happenstance... That we didn't realize till halfway through the movie. This was not part of our choice. David Hewlett, who we spent the first 10-15 minutes looking at, going, he looks familiar, doesn't he? Only to find out he plays Worth in the original Cube. <laughs> That's right. So, in Triangle, a TBS Superstation TV movie that aired in 2001 and was the highest-rated cable movie of the month that it was on, which just shows you where we were in 2001. It's it's made decently enough. Everybody in it, in the cast, I think, actually does a decent job. It's a cast basically entirely of TV actors yes. who are good at like delivering consistently like in the grind of regular television, where you've got Luke Perry's on 90210, David Hewlett, I think we figured out, did Stargate. Well, he was on Stargate, yeah. Olivia Dobb, obviously, a lot of television. Mm -hmm. um, and then, of course, MTV's Dan Cortez. MTV's Dan Cortez. And I also forgot to mention Dorian Harewood as Captain Morgan. Mm -hmm. The kind of joke you make in a movie where you actually have a character refer to it. Like, I think it's Cortez that goes Captain Morgan. And it's like, I'm sorry, that fits in one of my little subcategories. When you know you're doing something stupid in your script and you decide to have a character reference it, that does not take the the edge off of it being <laughs> stupid. That's like uh, not I, even if it's MTV's Dan Cortez. No, not even. We get a group of people who are just like a Dubro uh, uh, triad that have been doing their trips for a long time, man. And going, going to Cabo or going to Bermuda or wherever they're, they're going. They're just like college bros, wherever you take a trip and, together. Uh, and they are, but now they're adults and they're lawyers and business people and whatever. Except, you know, we're very quickly shown in the beginning. And what I thought was a very clunky, but, but serviceable way of setting up all the issues. Right. You know, that Dan Cortez is a lawyer. And he works too hard. Oh, he works too hard. And and Luke Perry's got money problems, but he's also engaged. And he doesn't want to tell her. And uh, David Hewlett is really, really into the Bermuda Triangle, and he has a heart problem. It's also unclear what he does for a living, except that he works in a cubicle just filled with paraphernalia from horror movies and conspiracy theories. Right. And, like, I don't know if he works for, like, a conspiracy theory company, or he just, like... 
works as an accountant or like does data entry or whatever like is in like sales or business or something he's playing this bermuda triangle video on the computer really loud it's like i'm thinking if i were working next to him (laughs) and it's it's, all i could think was i was told if i could play music at a reasonable volume yeah it's like i imagine the guy just on the other side of that felt partition every like 10 minutes is just popping the little head up over the side i mean like look gus i know that you um you like the Bermuda Triangle and you you enjoy reading about it and uh, and I know I know sometimes yes it's Bigfoot that you're you're watching the video I'm just saying I'm kind of trying to finish my work here and get home and we we sell staples I mean <laughs> can we just sell them and go home but instead he's just like yeah I'm gonna watch this Ugh. documentary about the Queen of Scots. Oh, the that's missing right. boat. Um, or, the, I'm sorry, ship. I I've watched Columbo enough. I should know the difference between a boat, boat and, and a ship. ship. With or without werewolves. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and the oh my god, calling it the Queen of Scots because it's really the Mary Celeste. Mm-hmm. And some genius working on this went, oh Mary Celeste, Mary Queen of Scots. Get it? Ah. But then we also found out very quickly, and we really do agree at this point. It was like while we're watching it, I looked up and realized a lot of people have this theory that Ghost Ship, which we covered in the episode that also features the far better triangle that we talked about Mm -hmm. episodes back, Ghost Ship from 2002, which, by the way, we covered it, so we'll try not to dwell on it too much. But, uh, my God, every place I turn now, everybody talks about Ghost Ship like it's a modern classic. And we really didn't like it. (laughs) But. But whatever. I like some of the stuff it tried to do. Yeah. But, but it didn't quite land for us. But what seems to be the case is a prevailing theory that Ghost Ship was more or less a remake of this. Yeah. And it really does seem like that's likely because there's a lot of similarities. Too many almost not to think someone saw this and thought, well, we can do a slightly better version of this maybe. I mean, basically, you can follow beat for beat through the films yeah in that ghost ship which was made later is an actual professional salvage crew who's going out on this whereas triangle is just some dude bros who like to do stuff together where ladies wear bikinis and one of them or the brown panty set that's right or one of them is kind of obsessed with the idea of salvage because he is short on cash and he's a diver and he likes salvaging things and he's even talking about like going into the bermuda triangle specifically because what if you can dive and find a wreck where you can salvage things so you have salvage salvage professional amateur but still they got bills to pay and they want to pay them with stuff from a shipwreck and they go out on this the boat that they hire and wind up going on to a ghost ship. And then it becomes just like it did in Ghost Ship. It's the shining on a boat. Pretty much. Right down to Luke Perry being our, our Jack with an axe at one point. Although in this case, it's a cricket bat for most of it. Yeah, he uses the cricket bat on people, but the axe to try to get into a safe, which ultimately, obviously, whether or not you've seen the film, you can picture that you can't get into like a bank vault Right. with like a fire axe from it's 1939 al- yeah it's also supposed to be a ship from 1939 with a control room that very very clearly is not from 1939 no not that the technology is like push button advanced it's just that the furniture was really would throw us off 
like some of the machinery in there i could almost believe yeah right maybe that's 30s or like just before world war ii but there was something just about the countertops and the way the room looked. That boat was built circa 1992. Yeah, it did not. It did, No, it's Mm-mm. not a 30s. No. It is not. But I, I didn't even fit. Like, so there, they charter the boat. They get on the ghost ship. And of course, Luke Perry's greed makes his, him susceptible to becoming our Jack Torrance. And then. Yeah, there's a know. vault full of riches. Same yeah. on ghost ship and this one. That the spirits of the people who died there are sort of trapped there and that the violence of it leaves an imprint on the place. In the same way it does in The Shining, which is why it's The Shining on a boat. They do cuts of like the people and when he sees the person that's really sort of possessing him. It's a shot from The Shining, typical blood on the face. Yeah, you look in the mirror and you're seeing the person who's possessed you rather than you. So it's sort of like, yeah, beat for beat, even to the point... Where they get trapped in, like, the ballast portion of the ship that's filling with water. Right. Mostly so MTV's Dan Cortez can show off his upper body strength and, like, flexes pecs or whatever. I don't even know muscle groups. What am I talking about? I don't know. Quads, delts. I don't know. One of those. Traps, lats. I don't know. One of those things. His his arm bulges. (laughs) His arm bulges. (laughs) It's a physiological term. Yeah, I, I was mentioning that before, too. It's really weird. It's like Shannon, Polly Shannon, who plays like the fiance, when they meet everybody on the beach, like the, the little side wrinkle is, oh, he's decided to bring his fiance along. And it's always been like a guy's trip. Mm-hmm. But then, you, like you were saying, we looked at it it's like she's wearing underwear on she, the beach. She's supposed to be wearing a bikini on the beach, but it really, really looked like they didn't have one. Or she didn't have one. Or the didn't day like of shooting. what they had. I don't know. And she's wearing very clearly like a bra. So it's underwear. It is cloth that is not meant to get wet. Yeah. That was weird. It's odd. But and oh, that's the other thing. Is that before they leave on the trip. <laughs> yeah. David Hewlett's character becomes fascinated by the fact that where they are, he happens upon a voodoo ceremony. As you do. Apparently. As it happens. And takes a picture, takes a selfie uh, with everybody in frame, only to find out when looking on his camera, early days of digital cameras, mm-hmm. he's there in the flash shot, but all of the people in the ceremony are nowhere to be seen, even though they were right there. And evidently he's been cursed, or at least that's the theory, because he heard a name that Olivia Dabo's character later says is like referencing evil, except that. It literally plays no role whatsoever. Has nothing to do with it. In the story, countless other versions of the ghost ship story, both before and after, play just as well on the idea that you yourself just described, that like violent death leaves an imprint, that these haunted places, you know, Mm -hmm. it doesn't require voodoo to be driving this story in any way. It feels like a producer was like, you know, where's the voodoo in this? And it just winds up, leaving a bad taste because in a movie that's already not good and we're certainly not going to recommend anybody watch this and i should point out here i actually purchased it because there's no other way to watch it it's not streaming and i went on a used you paid money book site. i paid i paid like five whole dollars for this dvd yes it was worth every dollar to to have it just the the logo the dvd like production logo at the beginning with the horse running through flames was worth the money <laughs> for that 
But anyway, I digress. Um, but yeah, but all it does is leave a bad taste in the end because also it just is a ridiculously over-the-top, hugely inappropriate and racist addition to a story that doesn't need it. Yeah. And it's like, why are you doing the like Dorian Harewood is the captain of the boat, fine, but the only other people of color represented are all just cartoon cliche voodoo practitioners. Mm-hmm. And they are meaningless. We literally never go. Well, I think they like they mention voodoo again toward the end because they were oh, we better tie this together. Except there is no tying it together. There really isn't. No. Because um, also the Bermuda Triangle is its own legend. Right. They it can works just fine. Exist on its own. Right. I forgot. Also, in the midst of all the shining stuff, they also steal the one shot out of the changeling with the ball coming down the steps. <laughs> Except this time, it's a cricket ball rolling out of a 1930s Art Deco elevator. Yeah. Um, on a ship but the thing is the only other thing i really think of to say is it's not good <laughs> it's not good but it's not unwatchable but it's not unwatchable yeah everybody in it is fine and i feel like it's just not worth it <laughs> it's like but it's not the word i mean we've seen bad Everybody in it is doing the best they can. And I think, didn't you say at the end, Dan Cortez is actually the best one in the he's cast. He's a pretty good actor. Yeah, he's fine. This. He does a good job. They're all okay. These are all professionals. And uh, I, I felt there were two things I felt that really went awry at the end. And what I already knew was going to be a disappointing experience. Right. One is you get to the big ending. And boy, the couple shots you get of the ghost ship throughout the movie are clearly like bad 2000 era, like, computer pasting it on the background but at the end which you couldn't even watch because a lot of shaky <laughs> the explosion of the ship i have never seen shots that look more like somebody just like glued a paper cut out of a boat onto the screen and just put like fake flames around it, it and was... we should mention ghost ship also explodes the ship right at the end right so and the other thing was a, a misstep that i couldn't figure out which i can't remember now if ghost ship did something like this because i really can't remember now which is that we talked about the voodoo thing was a completely unnecessary addition and on the other side of it there was a a story beat that felt like it was deliberately set up but they never did anything with it which is david hewlett's character has his heart problem and he goes through the absolute tired cliche of the character with a heart problem who automatically flings their pills in every direction whenever facing danger so that they can't take the pill. And he dies on the boat while they're investigating everything. Right. I thought it was so painfully obvious that by the end of the movie, Ghost Gus was going to come back and help them against the evil ghosts and the ship and help them get off the boat, ship, boat, whatever. He literally never turns up again after his death. And I couldn't figure out why do you kill a character on the ghost ship and then not have their ghost come into play? I think it's possible that they toyed with the idea, but their very meager CGI budget was um, completely exhausted with their paper doll boat. They couldn't even do a force ghost thing. They couldn't even do a force ghost thing, I think, personally. Maybe. Um, Or they just didn't think of it because we're not exactly in, like, creativity territory here. Like, there, we talk about how Ghost Ship feels like it was Triangle. Well, Triangle also feels 
like it was every Bermuda Triangle movie that was made in the 70s. So yeah. it's not exactly like breaking new ground here. No. It even has the typical ending, too, where you find out the time's moved a little differently since they've gotten on the ghost ship. Yeah, the two of them managed to get away adrift on the, the dinghy that was part of their boat. And then you get the end exposition presented as if it's a radio announcer, which also, if anyone else is Mystery Science Theater fans, feels exactly like the exposition over the radio from the movie Werewolf. Oh, okay, yeah. I was thinking of Blue Heart from Zombie 3, but there's that too. Yeah. Same, same. Yeah. It's, yeah same idea. That's right. And, you know, he tells you that, like, the two, like, sunburned people were found floating in, like, a lifeboat. And the weird thing is, they claim to be from the fishing boat Blue Jay, which we all know disappeared four years ago in the Bermuda Triangle. Dun, dun, dun. Credits. Yeah. It's like, okay. I remember when it started, too, the whole opening sequence is like him having a dream. You find out that Cortez and Daba are having the same dreams and they're they're destined to be together, I guess. And his dream, it's so steel blue. It's like that post-Cameron steel blue thing that everybody was doing in the early 2000s. And I thought, oh, my God, is this whole movie going to be steel blue color graded? And it kind of was, actually. But um, their dreams also felt a little bit like they lifted it from, I mean, well, lifted it. It's it's a trope. It exists all over the place. But as everyone here knows, one of my favorite movies is Hackers. And that's one of the threads woven throughout Hackers is that our two leads have been having like sexy dreams about each other, like the whole film. And it's like, oh, it's so weird. You're having dreams, too. And it's like, yeah, you're two people who want a bone. Like. <laughs> You're having dreams about each other. But I guess what makes it like spooky in this case is they were having the dreams before they even met each other. And then you find out she's kind of like a witch or something because she kept having dreams about her parents dying in a car crash. Yeah. They and really like no it. one believed her until they died in a car crash. And then surprisingly, they didn't like throw her off a cliff or something. They just like let her go live with her parents' yeah. friend. This like guy who drinks a lot and can't seem to keep his boat in service. And we did look it up, by the way, and Dorian Harewood was like the right age to have been someone that could have helped raise Olivia Dabo. He just seems so young looking. He that seems we thought, so young. Yeah, like, no. shout out to his skincare routine. Because I was like, <laughs> could he really have helped raise her? And then we looked it up and be like, yeah, kind of. Yeah, he's like, what, like 24, 25 years older than Oops, she is. About, so it's yeah. like, okay, he would have been yeah. in his late 20s, early 30s when she was a kid. And it's yeah. like, yeah, all right. So it works. Well, anyway, I think that wraps up this year's <laughs> Halloween episode. I can't say it doesn't bother me just a little bit that circle and triangle are two-dimensional shapes, but the cube is a three-dimensional shape. But that would have required us to do sphere instead of circle, which I didn't want to do because I'm not interested in sphere right now. And then we would have had to find a movie called Cone. And I couldn't find one. So We found one or two called Pyramid. Yeah, that pyramid would have worked. they were a little found footagey, and we all know I can't, yeah. I can't abide that. So we had to have two two-dimensional shapes and one three-dimensional. Oh, and that's another thing. I couldn't find one called square. So we couldn't do that. <laughs> These are the things that plague me. He is haunted by this. Thanks for listening to Ghouls in the House, featuring Natalie Bielatowski and Arnold T. Blumberg. You can find Natalie on threads at Positively Natalie and me at Doctor of the Dead also on Instagram, and also on Letterboxd. 
Our movies this episode were Cube 2021, Circle 2015, and Triangle 2001. Dan Cortez. <laughs> Girls in the House is an ATB publishing production. Check out our other podcasts, books on your favorite fictional worlds, and other assorted goodies at www.atvpublishing.com. Hey, there's a fog bank out there. <laughs>